Let's pray first. Father, we come before you in need of you to walk in. In your name, Jesus, we do pray. Amen. So I want to ask you this morning, at home, how many of you have a family photo album? Would create memories picture by picture as you built your family history. Now today, people often have just digital photos on their phone, the tablet, the computer. Or perhaps you're a special person and you have shoe boxes full of pictures in your closet that you never managed to sort or to organize. In whatever format, these are collections of photos that are unique and special to you. You would have old, faded photos of grandparents, maybe even great-grandparents. There'd be wedding photos, baby pictures, and other important moments. There were pictures of aunts and uncles, family friends, maybe a pet or two. And there's always those pictures of people you don't know who they are. Hopefully, somebody wrote a name, a caption, saying, this was Uncle John, because otherwise you have no clue who the person was. And as families grow, so did the number of albums. Then there was two, three, multiple albums, all gathered together to reflect your family history. Family albums would often be dusted off, dug out, and pulled out to show other people. And to the horror of every teen, and if you were one of these people, you have your sympathy, mothers would open the album and say, look at when my child was this age. And the teen would cringe. Don't show that picture. We all have embarrassing moments in our lives. And not all family pictures or memories reflect the best times of life. And after today's message, you may go home and find your own albums and go through and say, huh, look at how I used to dress. Look at the glasses I wore. Look at my hair when I had it. You'd laugh and, maybe, and remind us of those stories. But did you know that we're also part of a new family album? One much larger than you can possibly imagine. This album records God's family of faith. And the book of Revelation, it is called the Book of Life. It is growing every day. New names are being added. New believers are being born into God's kingdom. And if you have submitted your, Christ, your life to Christ and follow him, then you have a place in God's family album. Now in Paul's final section of the book of Colossians, he includes a few family portraits of co-workers who formed his immediate family of faith. This was something that Paul liked to do at the end of some of his letters. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, he included little snapshots of people he worked with. And in Romans, he had a whole chapter, chapter 16, devoted to all the people who collectively were around him serving the Lord. Clearly, God felt it important to include these family portraits as part of his scripture. So we have it today for us. And before we get to this um, family album that Paul has drafted for us, and we bring this sermon series to a close, I want to do something unique for us. We don't normally do this during a message, but we'll get to it. If you remember, if you can cast your mind back, 
Last April, Pastor Brent began our journey through Colossians. And at the end of the July, end of this month, after a few breaks here and there, we're coming to the end of the 16-message series. Now, if you're like me, you've probably forgotten everything that was said. Perhaps you can't even recall what you had for breakfast yesterday, let alone what was said four months ago in a message. So before we dip into Paul's final thoughts, I want us to watch a video by the Bible Project. They produce many snapshots outlining books of the Bible. And I thought it'd be helpful for us to watch this, just to put together the entire book of Colossians in 10 minutes to remind you what we covered. After the video, I'll make a few comments about what we saw, and then I'll continue our journey through family portraits. So hopefully this is going to work for us. They have all the Bibles, all the books of the Bible done already. You can watch them, refresh your memory, see how it's put together. And it is their uh, interpretation of a way of outlining the book. When we think about the letter to Colossians, we remember that Paul didn't start it. He didn't know the believers. He just knew them through Epaphras. It was he who came to Paul and talked to him and told him about this church. And he was passionate about this church. And so Paul, in response, was praying also, as we said, wrote the letter. And by way of summary, of a summary, in this letter, Paul emphasizes four things. The first is the authority of Christ. He is over all creation and over all the new creation. He emphasizes personal suffering. His suffering and his imprisonment was all for the sake of Christ and for his church. And by way of extension, your suffering is all for Christ, if you're suffering right now. The believers were facing two dangers, deceptive teachings, religious rules, something we see a lot today in our culture, lots of deceptive teaching around us. Lots of rules that are out there put in place to approach God or approach fulfilling yourself. And the last thing the letter talks about is learning how to live as a new humanity in Christ. As individuals, each of us live as individuals before the Lord who is transforming us to become like him. But we're not alone. We live as a community where all believers belong the very thing the world wants to see is happening in our midst, in the church. People from various tribes, languages, ethnicities, all gather to worship around one Lord. We live as a new humanity in our families, as we create a family that reflects what Christ wants of us. And we're not in the world or of the world, we are uh, serving Christ in the world that he's given us. Now, with this quick summation of the body of Paul's letter in the background, we're now ready to dip into the last part of the message, which is Paul's family album. Now, the first people that he mentions, as you remember from the video, are two messengers, two emissaries, Tychicus and Onesimus. Paul is sending these two men who are distant relatives of yours. In the faith, they're early in the book, well, not that early, because we have the Old Testament prophets and members of our family there. 
But we look and we see these two portraits of these two men. And the first is this man called Tychicus. The text reads, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Who is Tychicus? Do we have any idea about this guy? He's just a picture in an album with a name. Well, we know in Acts 20, verse 4, that he was one of a group of people who traveled with Paul on his third missionary journey. He didn't just show up in Rome. He has been with Paul for quite a while. Tychicus also appears in the end of the book of Ephesians. Titus 3.12 and 2 Timothy 4.12. And Paul describes him as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Obviously, Paul and Tychicus go way back. They have history together. They served in missions together. They struggled together. This name of this person means something. He's an important individual for Paul and for the early church. And three times throughout the last few verses, Paul mentions why he's sending this man. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. All about what's happening in Rome with Paul, he will explain to the believers in Colossae. This is the very reason he's sending him, to do two things. To tell the church how Paul is doing, and to encourage their hearts. This is not the only time that Tychicus was sent by Paul to do this. See if this sounds familiar. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him for this very purpose, that you may know about how we are, and he may encourage your hearts. Almost the identical words in Colossians and in the book, the letter to the Ephesian church. This man brought both letters to both communities. This isn't the first time he's done this. He's a trusted companion of Paul. Now, since Paul was in prison and confined, he could not personally deliver the letter. He could just write it. So he sent this man. Now, most likely, Tychicus took the letter that Paul had written. He traveled from Rome all the way to what is today uh, Western Turkey, to the city called Colossae, and he would read the letter to the people who gathered in the church. And then he would clarify Paul's words by explaining what Paul was doing, but also what the letter meant, because he was there when Paul wrote it, and he probably had questions for Paul. So in one way, we could say that the first person who preached the letter to the Colossians to the Colossians was Tychicus, as he explained it and encouraged their hearts to learn. Just as we're encouraged when we hear testimonies, we're encouraged when we hear the word of God preached. That's what we come to worship God and to hear. Now Tychicus was not sent by himself. Another man was sent, a man named Onesimus. And together they would both give news about what was going on with Paul. The text says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. 
Now, whereas Tychicus was a seasoned believer through many hardships and matured under that situation, Onesimus was relatively a new believer in comparison. In Paul's letter to Philemon, if you're looking for it, whose name means useful, was a runaway slave who fled from his master Philemon, who is a believer. And this was a serious crime. Both Philemon and Onesimus were both from the city of Colossae. And Paul describes how he led Onesimus into the faith by writing this. He's writing this to Philemon. He says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. What's interesting here, I didn't put it on the screen, because now he's a believer. Now he's become to Christ. So somehow in God's economy, his plan, this fellow fled from his uh, city, found his way to Rome, managed to meet Paul, who preached the gospel to him. He became a follower, Philemon. And his mission, of course, was the same as Tychicus. They will both tell you of everything that has taken place. It's the third time Paul mentions this. Now, as we turn the page in his family album, we see six more photos. Six other co-workers who didn't go to the city. They remained, but sent their greetings. And the first three is a man named Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. He greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom I have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Aristarchus, another interesting name. You probably have no idea who this person is. Is he in the Bible? Is this the only place that he exists? Well, this is another interesting person. In Acts 19.29, if you think back, in the city of Ephesus, there was a huge riot. The gospel was being proclaimed. The entire city blew up. There was a big riot. They all gathered in the theater, and they were screaming and yelling. There was great confusion. And it says in Acts 19, a man named Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. 27.2. And when it was decided that we should set sail for Italy, Paul's been arrested in Jerusalem. He's being sent to Rome because he appealed to Caesar as a prisoner. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium that was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea Luke and Paul, put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So here's a man who faced death in Ephesus, ends up, he's confined likely with Paul and with the others. Now Tychicus, Aristarchus, Paul, they'd all served together through riots and imprisonment. They've suffered for Christ and are spiritually battle-hardened for the gospel of Christ. 
he sends his greetings to this church. As well as Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. We're more familiar with Mark. We know about him a little bit more. But Mark didn't begin so well, did he? You see his picture in the photo album and you go, oh, this is Mark, yeah, look how young he is. Oh yeah, I remember Mark on the first missionary journey when he went with Barnabas, he took him along and midway through he gave up, went back to Jerusalem. Paul was not very happy. And then later on, when it was suggested they go back and visit the churches, Barnabas wanted to take Mark along with them. And Paul said, that's not a good idea. He left us last time. And as we know in the story, Barnabas and Paul had a disagreement about whether Mark should come. So Barnabas took Mark with him and headed off to Cyprus, whereas Paul took Silas and ministered. And in due course, Mark and Paul were united. And now Mark has matured to the point of traveling to proclaim Christ, even authoring a gospel. And so Paul did write introductions for him, wherever he would go to introduce him. Because perhaps the story went ahead of him. Oh, this is the guy, oh yeah, this is Mark, yeah, okay. Oh, Paul says he's okay. Let's have a listen to what he has to say. Because Mark's an example, reflects some of our lives, that it's more important how you finish than how you begin. The last guy in this group of three is Jesus called Justice. Justice is the Latin. And we don't know much about him. We know his name, but that's about it. Now these are three companions that Paul mentions. And he goes on to describe his companions and he says, these are the background believers. Now of course Paul had others, like Priscilla and Aquila. Why didn't he mention them? Because these men were with him at the moment. And they were serving together for the kingdom of God and a comfort for Paul in his confinement. You know, if you look and you read Romans chapter 10, you will find that Paul was greatly distressed and those who discovered the Messiah and now followed him. Three more pictures. We're getting to the end. It may have been that he was also confined or had some other malady that could not permit him to go. Because we read in Philemon 23 that Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you. So he may not have been able to go. You know how hard it is? Some of you know this, I know for sure. Your family's not in this country. They're far away. You're not gonna get to see them. And if you do, it can be once. Because it's too expensive, too far to travel. So your heart goes out to them. Maybe Epaphras felt this way. I can't get to my hometown to see the believers there. So I pray for them. He also mentions Luke and a man named Demas. Luke we know, photo album, what do we know about him? Well, we know that later on, in another letter, long after this was written, in 2 Timothy 4.10, something happened. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Sometimes the pictures are not great. We don't know what happened in the end of his life. Maybe he had a, a rebound. He came back to trusting the Lord and serving him faithfully. Maybe this was just a step and a stage in his life. But most of us have people we know 
who came to faith, were doing really well, and then disappeared. What happened to them? Some even walked away for a time. Maybe they still have walked away, and you agonize over that. How do I see them come back to the Lord? You pray for them. But maybe in the family album is rosy and beautiful and perfect. There are lots of thorns in our family album. And we hope and pray that Demis will meet him one day and hear his story of how Christ brought him back. Now these eight people, including uh, Paul, are presented as emissaries and as greeters to the church in Colossae. The church was not forgotten. Picture here, we have the, the towering apostle Paul. We have Tychicus and Aristarchus who served with Paul for many years. We have a church planter and a shepherd pastor, Epaphras. We have Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and a former slave, Onesimus, along with Dr. Luke, Demis, and Justice. And we witness the wonder of Christ building his kingdom, his church, one person at a time, even until today, even until we are here. Remember, this is Christ's family album, of which you are included. We are part of a long continuum of believer to believer to believer, a chain of believers that go back to the apostles who walked with Christ. We're not isolated, we're not by ourselves, it's not just you and Christ. He says, give my, no, think of your home. How many people could you have in your home? How many, five, 10, 50? Depends how big a home you have, I guess. Now imagine if we couldn't meet here anymore. For some reason, we can't meet in this church. We have to meet in a house church. How many house churches would this church comprise? 10, 12? That was the church of Colossae. That was your community, that was your family, a small church, 20, 30 people. You met every Sunday, you worshiped, you intermingled with other house churches, but there were no buildings. There's no money to do that. You weren't allowed to do that. So you had house churches. And who knows? The way our society is going, we may have to go back to that. Read also the, the letter to the Laodiceans. Read their letter. Exchange letters. Why would you do that? Because the Colossian letter was not just for them. That's why we read it today, because it's for all of us. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, this is Paul, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen my face, Colossians 2.1. So I request these two groups of believers to exchange the letters. And so they become known as circular letters. That's where we have them in the New Testament. God's word that is given for us to share together. You also notice that these churches were close together. 20 kilometers separated them. Heriopolis at the top, right in the middle, Laodicea and Colossae, all around the Lycus River. So they were neighbors. So changing letters was not difficult. It would simply be a, a walk. And it's very likely that Epaphras was in each of these towns starting churches. That's why his passion was for this area. And so the letters would be given to them. Now, there is 
speculation. What happened to this letter to the Laodiceans? What's that? Some speculate that it's a letter to the Ephesians. Since it's so similar to Colossians in so many ways. But no one knows for sure except God. He goes from this group photos back to pick up an, an individual in one of those churches. This is a man named Archippus, the last picture that we have. He says, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. It's served in this house church. And as an exhortation to this man to encourage him and strengthen him because we see that many times those who minister stand in need of ministry. I'll say it again. We've got to be mindful of those who serve us and encourage and strengthen them because sometimes you just don't want to continue. And maybe Archippus was at the end of himself. But Paul says, to the believers, encourage him, strengthen him. Next week, Pastor Brent is back after his vacation. We're looking forward to that. But as the Lord leads for the next couple of months, make sure that you encourage him, that you strengthen our pastor because he's been given a ministry by the Lord in our midst. And so we want to pray for and strengthen him as he seeks to serve the Lord to the best of the resources that Christ provides him. Paul completes his letter. Paul, write this greeting to you with my own hand. Hmm. Remember my chains, grace be with you. It was customary in this time to have a secretary write down your words, as did a man named Tertius in Romans. He wrote down the letter of Romans for Paul. In the same way, in this letter, it reflects Paul's thoughts, his ideas, his words, and they're written down by somebody else, maybe Timothy. And in order to authenticate this letter, he signs his name. In 2 Thessalonians, he says it this way, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. This is how I write. This is my signature. He signed the letter. He also says, remember my chains. Remember my imprisonment. In chapter 4, as Martin talk, spoke last week, Paul says, pray for us. Pray for our ministry in Rome. That God would open the door for us to declare the word, to declare the mystery of God on account of... And then he ends with this final benediction. Simple, straight, true, and to the point. Grace be with you. In this final section of the letter, and as the last sermon in this series of our journey through Colossians, I find it very interesting that Paul emphasizes that the ministry is something we share together. It requires a team. Even Paul was not on his own. He was not the lone trailblazer scampering through Asia Minor, Greece, Rome, planting churches, discipling believers, suffering. No. He was with a group of people many people, more people than he knew, for he didn't know the believers in these areas that he wrote to. This letter demonstrates that ministry is something that we share together. Because based on the passion of Epaphras and his intense longing and prayers, 
for the brothers and sisters in Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, Paul was moved to write this letter that we have today. All because another brother was serving. Now let me try something at the very end here. Let me try and personalize Colossians for you. What we saw on the screen for 10 minutes, that's an awful lot to try and personalize, but I'm gonna have a go at it. Our family of faith is remarkable, and each of you are part of the story. You must never forget that. You're part of God's story of new creation. So you have been chosen by and for Christ. You're not an accident. You didn't stumble into the church. You didn't pick up that track or hear the message and believe, oh, look what happened to me, lucky me. No, you were chosen. Paul's very clear in the first chapter of Colossians. You've been chosen by Christ, who is the authority over all creation and over the new humanity, which is his church. What that means for us today is that Christ is our authority. It's not yourself. It's not social media. It's not the government. It's not how you feel, because we all feel differently at various moments of the day. Christ is your authority. It's external to us, not inside of us. That is very countercultural today. Many people you know who are not believers suffering in some mysterious way by knowing that you were chosen to endure and to remain true and faithful to the gospel in times of pressure. There is pressure to change. There's pressure to compromise. There's pressure to walk away from the good news in Jesus. There's pressure in school. There's pressure in the media. There's pressure from friends who think your faith is almost to the point now where you're racist if you believe this. We can laugh, but the world is changing rapidly around us. Paul to the Colossians said, don't be persuaded by deceitful teachings. Don't get caught up in religious rules. It leads you away from Christ. And so that's why we read God's word. That's why we pray to Christ. That's why we, he's our authority. That's why we cling to him. Even when we're, that's all we have, just hanging on. I know someone who had three children, all under the age of one and a half. And I asked her about her quiet time. She said, my quiet time is holding my babies and going, God help me, God help me, get me through this day. She hung on with what she had. The final thing is that we're chosen to live in Christ as a community, in different ways, as individuals. Your own personal growth with Christ is essential. Reading his word, praying, walking with him, putting yourself and setting your mind on Christ who is above. That's an individual choice that you make every moment of every day. But we're also called to be a collective body of believers. Our family portrait is not just one picture of you. If I went to your home and you had a family album to say, here I am when I was one, two, three, where's your parents? Oh, they're not important. Uh, here's when I was six, here's my graduation. You have no friends? Oh yeah, but they're not important. They're only pictures of me. No other family because it has pictures of all of us. And we have families, microcosms of what God is doing in the church, in our families, that reflect the loving, disciplined heart of Christ. And lastly, we're chosen as messengers to the world. Someone told you the gospel. Someone wrote that book. 
produced that video, sang that song, sat you down, prayed for you. We are that to other people then as they are now will be for the future. So as you have opportunity, circle back to this in about a year in your readings. You'll see new things, fresh things, because you've changed in that time. Because Christ is building his kingdom and his family album. Who knows who will be sitting in these pews a year from now? New people. People baptized, new members. People coming to faith. God is growing his family to experience what it is to be a true human being created in the image of God. Father, thank you for this series on Colossians. Thank you for these words. Thank you, God, for your words that they might echo in our hearts, even as we enter the week, Lord, that you might fill us with your presence and the power of your spirit, that we might truly live as your followers. In your name, Jesus, we do pray. Amen.